amazing that you would be here to worship with us, and we are grateful for that. If you have your Bible, will you turn to Psalm, the 14th chapter? Kind of interesting this morning that we'll go to an Old Testament passage to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but you'll see where I am headed in just a moment. It wasn't too many weeks ago that we were beginning to talk about Easter. Several friends uh, that I am, uh, several men that I am friends with, and we were talking about Easter, and one of them said, did you know that Easter is on April 1st this year, April Fool's Day? And I said, I did not even realize that. So I got my calendar out, and I began to check it, and immediately the Lord brought to my mind the sermon that I wanted to share with you this morning that I have entitled, No Fooling, No Fooling. And I want to share this with you. Just a, a few days ago, one of the friends that I had been visiting with, who's also a pastor, said, what did you come up with for Easter? And I said, well, I'm preaching a sermon called No Fooling. And he went, man, I really like that. Can I use that? And I said, sure you can. And he said, how are you going to start your sermon? And I said, well, this is what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to stand up in front of the congregation, and I'm going to say, this morning I need to share with you that I am going to tender my resignation this morning. I have no other option but to do that because of some things that are going on in my life. And then I was going to say, well, April Fool's, just, just teasing with you. <laughs> I was sharing that with my friend, and he said, you cannot do that. And I said, why can't I do that? He said, because as soon as you say I am here this morning to tender my resignation, they're going to break out in wild applause, and you will go, oh, I've got to resign now. So I changed my whole theory. I just am going to share with you about April Fool's for a second. I'm not resigning. I promise I am not resigning. Let me tell you a little bit about the history of April Fool's Day, just to kind of get us into uh, where Psalm 14 is going to take us. I don't know how much you know about April Fool's Day. I didn't know a whole bunch about it until I looked up and did a little research. Uh, there's several theories about where it possibly came from. One of the biggest theories is that uh, they changed from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. If you don't know what that is, Julius Caesar had a calendar. And uh, for years, everybody lived by the Julian, the Julius Caesar calendar. And that's when the new year started in March or April, right around that time, instead of January the 1st. Uh, in about the 1500s, it switched to the Gregorian calendar, which is the calendar that we still live and work by today, which January 1st is the new year and goes through December 31st. When they were switching from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, there were some people that didn't get the word, as you can imagine, in the 1500s, uh, no kind of social media, no kind of telephones, very hard to communicate with everybody that the world had switched calendars. And so there was a lot of people living in outlying areas that did not get the word of the switch. And they were still celebrating New Year's Day somewhere around April the 1st. And the people that knew that the calendar had switched begin to call those people April Fool's people because they did not know. Now, some people have that kind of an understanding. There's also an understanding of a British uh, kind of an understanding of where April Fool's came by when they used to do a hunt, much like we would refer to. And when I say this to you, everybody in East Texas will know pretty much what I'm talking about. But they used to do a hunt in England for a bird that didn't exist. It wasn't called a snipe hunt, but if I said snipe hunt, 
to you, you would all know what I'm talking about. And so in England, they used to hunt for this bird that didn't exist. And when people would fall for that prank, and it always happened in the spring, they would call them April Fool's people. There's, there's also the understanding that it may be linked to seasons. This season has kind of been a perfect example of that. You know, the vernal equinox is when we switch from uh, winter to spring. It always happens around this time of year. And there's a lot of people who talk about how the seasons fool us. Uh, April 1st comes along and we think it's spring. The flowers are blooming. Everything's gorgeous. And then the next day it snows. And it's kind of that understanding that Mother Nature has fooled us, that the seasons have fooled us. A lot of companies have uh, bought into and played around with the April Fool's joke. You may have been pranked before on an April Fool's uh, day before where somebody said something to you and you believed it. Uh, the Probably one, two of the most famous uh, pranks that happened in April Fool's, I don't know how super famous they are, but... I've heard of both of them, but one of them, not too many years ago, about 10 to 15 years ago, Taco Bell came out with an advertisement that they had bought the Liberty Bell from the United States of America, and they were going to rename it the Taco Liberty Bell. And people believe that. <laughs> Taco Bell did not buy the Liberty Bell, will never buy the Liberty Bell. Burger King, Burger King came out with a a thing about seven years ago that they had invented the left-handed whopper for left-handed people. Um, and people actually went up to the counter and said, I'd like the left-handed whopper instead of the right-handed whopper. Just yesterday, Burger King had so much fun with the left-handed whopper than the right-handed whopper. Just yesterday, if you go home and Google this today, I promise you'll find out that this true is true. Just yesterday, Burger King said that today they were going to be making a chocolate Whopper. It was going to be a chocolate bun, chocolate meat, chocolate icing on the chocolate meat. That sounds like the worst thing that I can even imagine. But that's what's going on today. That's kind of the history and the understanding of kind of where we are today with April Fools. Now, here's kind of where I want to take the turn with this as we get ready to look at, at Psalm 14, is, is the heartbreak that there are people who, are, who have been fooled by the understanding that Jesus Christ is alive today. Not too many days ago, in fact, it was just a, just a little over a, a month or two ago, you probably heard about Stephen Hawking. Uh, if you don't knew, know who Stephen Hawking is or was, uh, he's probably was probably the most brilliant scientist that has ever lived in our age. Uh, he's the one who discovered discovered dark matter and dark uh, holes, black holes in the universe. And he is a, was a brilliant mathematician, a, a brilliant scientist. In his early 20s, he was struck down with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. But he lived until his 70s. He fought the disease all his life probably lived longer than anybody who's ever had that disease before and lived almost all his life in a wheelchair and without the ability to communicate except by uh, looking at a computer and then the computer making a robotic voice for him. But he was brilliant. So hear me when I say that he is brilliant and hear me when I say 
that he was a fool. Now, that seems harsh, especially for somebody of my mental capability to talk about somebody of Stephen Hawking's capability. But I promise you that the scripture says that he was a fool. I want you to listen to this. These are some quotes from Stephen Hawking. It says, during those visits to Pope, he went to see Pope Francis. In his comments to the academy in 2010, uh, Pope Benedict referred to Stephen Hawking, and he said this to Stephen Hawking. This is what the Pope said to Stephen Hawking. He says, scientists do not create the world. They learn about it and try to uh, uh, intimate it or imitate it. Sorry. They don't invent the world, but they learn about it, and then they try to imitate it. That's what the Pope said about Stephen Hawking. That's very true, but listen to what Stephen Hawking says. Stephen Hawking says this, and I I want you to catch as you listen how his heart is beginning to change because in the beginning, Stephen Hawking had an understanding that there was a God, that there there was something greater than, than him, that there was something... Uh, that created what he believed in, uh, but his heart changed. And I, I want you to listen to how his heart changed. Listen to this. Because, this is Stephen Hawking saying, because there's a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. If you think about that, Stephen Hawking, the most, one of the most brilliant men that ever walked on the face, says because there's a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Well, guess what? That's exactly what my Bible says, that God created the universe out of nothing. Listen to what he says. Spontaneous creation, again, exactly what the scripture says, is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist, it is not necessary to light the blue torch, uh, the blue touch paper and get the universe going. What Stephen Hawking was saying there is you didn't have to light a piece of paper or do something. It was created spontaneously by something. And it's him, it's Stephen Hawking, brilliant in his scientific mind, searching for how the universe could be created. Listen to what else he said. He said this. He was talking to ABC News and he said, one can't prove that God doesn't exist. Remember I told you in his earlier life, he was really struggling with the fact that he, he understood science so well and science was pointing to the fact, at least in his mind, that there wasn't a God, but he was struggling with that because he couldn't make sense of it all. And listen to what he says. One can't prove that God doesn't exist, but science makes God unnecessary. Science makes God unnecessary. One more thing. Let me just share with you about him, and then I'll go to the scripture and and try to define my premise that Stephen Hawking was a fool and there's many others that we walk with and work with every day that are fools too. And I use that term and and you hear me say that and I'll define it for you in just a second. So don't panic when you hear me use that word fool. This is what Stephen Hawking said as he was talking about an afterlife. Remember his, his life has gone from probably a God sometimes worshiping a God to his, his mind turning to where there really can't be a God. There is no God. Listen to what he says. I believe the simplest explanation is there is no God. 
No one created the universe, and no one directs our fate. This leads me to the profound realization that there probably is no heaven and no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe, and for that I am extremely grateful. If this is the only life that you and I have to live, I'm not grateful at all. I'm heartbroken. But I've got news for you. This is not the only life we have to live. Look at Psalm 14 with me. I'm just going to read the first verse. We're going to go back and read some more of it in a second. And then I'm, I'm, I'm going to break down some things for you here. In, in Psalm 14, the very first verse, the, the, the passage says, this scripture says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Listen, I, I know how hard it is for you to hear me say that Stephen Hawking is a fool. And for you to hear me say that if you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a fool too. Listen to me, those aren't my words, those are the words of Scripture. I'm just conveying to you what David wrote in the psalm here and what is replete throughout Scripture, that if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, you are a fool. The, the word fool here is, is kind of derived from the Latin, at least what we use in, in our English uh, version today is, is the Latin word that we would think of as, as bellows. And, and when, when, when I'm saying bellows, you can think of it two ways. Uh, bellows and is kind of what a donkey does, brays and bellows. It makes a whole lot of noise but doesn't really account for much at all. But bellows are also what you and I would remember if you're old enough, when, when your parents got a fire going, they would take some bellows and they would squeeze those bellows together and they would blow air on that fire to get that fire going. And you and I know that those bellows were full of hot air. And when, they, when you would squeeze them together, that hot air would come out and help ignite that fire. Well, that's the understanding of the word fool. Uh, a lot of hot air. A lot of spewing and spouting, but not telling truth. Listen, in, in, in this passage right here, in Psalm, the 14th chapter, the, the, the Hebrew word that's used here is the word nabal, N-A-B-A-L. It's important for you to know that. Because in, in Hebrew, just much like in Greek, there would be multiple words for, for one word, one term. Uh, you, you've heard probably over and over again, uh, you know, the, the different words in the Greek for love. Uh, and that there are three or four terms. One's a brotherly love, phileo. Uh, there's another love that means a, a sexual kind of a love. Uh, so there's different terms where we would always use the word love, like I love Laura, but I love bluebell ice cream. Uh, we don't change that terminology uh, to signify one's a love for my wife and one's a love for food. But they do in the Greek and they do in the Hebrew. In, in the Hebrew, the word for, for fool is nabal. And, and this is 
I love this. This is what I want you to catch this morning. That word Nabal right there, the fool says in his heart, that word Nabal means that this person has a moral problem. It's, it's not a mental problem. It's a moral problem. And so when you go back to where I started just a few moments ago, talking about Stephen Hawking and, and talking about anybody else within the sound of my voice who does not know the Lord as their Savior and calling them a fool, I'm not talking about their mental capabilities. I'm talking about the morality of their heart. That's what the Scripture is pointing out here. You see, when you and I say fool, we tend to think of somebody who's mentally challenged or mentally struggling or just flat out crazy. They're, they're stupid in the way they do things. But that's not what the Scripture refers to. When the Scripture refers to the fool says that there is no God, he is talking about, David is talking about the, the man who has the heart problem, that has the heart disease. And because he does not understand who Jesus Christ is, then David says he's a fool because he says that there is no God. You see, my, my heart's desire for you this morning, what I would love nothing more than this morning is for you who hear me speak, for you who hear me share through the power of the Holy Spirit, to know that today is the day that you don't have to be a fool anymore. Today is the day that the heart problem that you have can be transformed and you can leave the world of foolish and come to the side of the forgiven. You see, everybody in this room at one time or another was a fool. For me, it was when I was six or seven years old, I was a fool and didn't understand what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But because of God's grace and God's mercy in my life and having wonderful parents who brought me to a wonderful church like Holly Springs Church is and put me into wonderful ministries like we have here at Holly Springs and children's ministries and, and had men and women who poured into my life through youth ministries like we have here with Clint. And while we worshiped every Sunday morning like Ryan leads us in worship, and while I heard the gospel presented every Sunday like the gospel's presented here every Sunday, my six, seven-year-old heart began to listen and began to tune in to what was being shared in, in the in the understanding that only a six or a seven-year-old can have, I begin to realize that something was missing in my life. The, the, the biblical understanding for it would be I began to understand that I was a fool. I began to understand that my heart had a moral problem that only a Savior could fix. And I'll never forget, I was sitting up in the balcony of the church. And on Sunday morning, I turned to my mom during the invitation in the midst of tears. I turned to my mom and I said, I want Jesus. And my mom grabbed me up and said, let's go talk to the pastor. 
And my mom and dad walked out of that balcony, walked down the aisle of the church, and I met a man named Brother Jim Parker who had been our preacher for years. I met him at the front of the church. And my mom literally handed me as a young boy to the pastor and said, Bobby wants to talk to you about Jesus and how he can become a believer in Christ. And at the front of that sanctuary, on that Sunday morning, I turned to Brother Jim and I said, Jim, I, Brother Jim, I, I don't know what's going on, but I know I need Jesus. And he grabbed my hands and we talked for a few seconds about sin and what it means to have Jesus forgive your sins. He talked to me about how you could ask Jesus into your life and how you could live your life for Jesus Christ. And as a seven-year-old boy, on that Sunday morning, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I switched from being a fool to being a forgiven young boy. And it totally changed my life forever. Look at Psalm 14 again. Will you with me one more time? Psalm 14, the very first verse, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. That's what's happening right here, right now, this morning. The Lord is looking down on this place, and he's looking for men and women. He's looking for boys and girls, and he's looking to see if any of them will understand God, who will seek after God. And then he says, all have turned aside, they have together become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Will evildoers never learn? Those who devour my people as men eat bread and who do not call on the Lord, there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel will come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortune of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Let me share with you three things, at least, that are located in this scripture that I want you to understand under the, the, the title of Don't Be Fooled. And, and, and I really think that what David is trying to say here is don't be fooled by these things. The first one is this. If, if you look in the first three verses, you'll, you'll see that David is trying to help us understand that only a fool would think they could be good enough to save themselves. You see, there's no doubt in my mind that some of you that are sitting here this morning think that if you just live a good enough life, if you, if you just walk a good enough walk, uh, if you're kind to your neighbor, uh, if you do good things, that the Lord will take care of you. Um, Listen, I, I, I've had that conversation with lots of people before. In, in my role as a minister and on the many mission trips that I've been on and on the conversations that I've shared with people all my days in the ministry, the number one thing that people always come back to me when I talk to them about a relationship with Jesus Christ is I think I'm a good enough person. And I, I, I don't know how to tell you strong enough and I don't know how to tell you with enough wisdom 
But my prayer is the Holy Spirit would speak through my voice today and that if you are sitting here this morning and you think just because you sit in that pew or just because you're kind to your parents or just because you help your neighbor or just because you're good at work or just because you're a man of integrity or a woman of integrity and just because you've lived your life as best as you can that you will get to heaven, let me tell you something. Please hear me with the kindness but the conviction that I say this, you are dead wrong. You are so dead wrong that when you die, that you will spend eternity in hell. And nothing would break my heart more for me to candy coat that or sugarcoat that so that you would believe that if you just are good enough that one day Jesus will say, Come into my kingdom that awaits for you because you were good enough. The scripture says that will not happen. The scripture says that the only way you will be invited into heaven is if you know Jesus Christ in the forgiveness of his sins as your Lord and Savior. You know, some, some people say... Why would you do that on Easter morning? Why would you do that on Sunday Easter morning when there's so many people who come and this may be the only Sunday that you'll ever see them? Listen, if this is the only Sunday that I ever see you, I want you to know the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to know the truth. I, I love what David Platt, the president of the mission board, said, the International Mission Board, David Platt said this, he said, you are not saved by human achievement. You're saved by a divine appointment. Let me say that again. You are not saved by human achievement. You are saved by a divine appointment. And that divine appointment happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ went to the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins. He put himself on that cross. I love what they say. The nails didn't hold him there. The love that he had for you and me held him to the cross. That's what kept him on the cross. And he went to that cross for your sins and my sins. And the divine appointment that he has is with you. Not because of how good you are, but because of how much he loves you. That divine appointment happened with me when I was a seven-year-old boy. The divine appointment has happened with hundreds of people in this room. All across different time zones and different time frames because he loves you. But that divine appointment could be for you this morning if you're willing to open your heart and look to Jesus. Let me share with you the second thing that it says in here in Psalm 14. In, in these middle verses that are kind of confusing, verse 4 through 6, it says, Will evildoers never learn? Those who devour my people as men eat bread and who do not call on the Lord. There they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. And then it says, your evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Listen, what's happening here is that foolish people aren't praying to God, but they're praying on the people of God. Foolish people aren't praying on God. They're praying on the people of God. P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y. Let me explain to you what's happening here. You see, people that don't believe in God, like Stephen Hawking, they're going to use their wisdom, they're going to use their knowledge, and, and they're not using that to pray to the Almighty God, but they're using it to pray 
on people like you and me who believe in God. So Stephen Hawking will, in his brilliance, and we understand and recognize his brilliance, will say stuff like, well, there is no God. You don't need a God. We're smart enough without God. And what happens is the people of God, you and me, go, geez, Stephen Hawking, he's brilliant. Should, should we believe that? And that's exactly what's happening 2,000 years ago when David wrote this passage. The, the people who are smart are praying, P-R-E-Y, on the people of God. And they're causing confusion. Listen, you need to be strong enough in your walk and you need to be strong enough in your conviction, which is why you need to be studying God's word, which is not why you need to be here on Sundays to worship, which is why you need to surround yourself with godly people. So when smart people like Stephen Hawking or the people that you work with or anybody else who thinks they're smart begins to talk to you about God, you can put your stiff arm out and you can say, man, I walk with a holy God, with a Savior who loves me, with the God who died on the cross for me, who sent his son, whose blood was shed, and guess what? It's good enough for me, and I don't need anything else. That's what you do when you put yourself in a daily walk with Jesus Christ. The last thing is, and this is kind of what I've been hammering on all along, but verse 7 says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortune of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. This is the song of salvation. And what is being said here to you and to me is only a fool would reject Jesus Christ. Listen, only a fool, somebody with a heart problem, who will not turn to Jesus Christ and would reject him. That's the true definition of a fool. Remember that definition, not the East Texas definition that we're so familiar with, but the definition that I want you to understand this morning is only a fool, somebody with a moral heart problem would reject Jesus Christ. So this morning, you have to decide what you want to do about your heart problem. You have to decide if like Ryan said a minute ago and we all repeated is that he is risen, he is risen indeed, you have to decide this morning whether you believe that with all your heart. Listen, in just a, a couple of months, uh, at least 15 of us from here from Holly Springs and then uh, some more from First Baptist, uh, a total of about 40 of us, maybe even a few people more, will be going to Ecuador to do a medical mission trip. And part of the, the understanding and the reality of why we will go do that medical mission trip is because we want hearts to be changed. Uh, we want people to go from fullness, uh, foolishness to forgiveness. And so we'll supply medicine and we'll do exams and people with a whole lot more knowledge than me, doctors and nurses, uh, will love on people and try to change their hearts. I don't know if you've ever... Uh, seen the movie The Tip of the Spear or read the book The Tip of the Spear it's by a Southern Baptist missionary named Jim Elliott uh, he didn't write the book uh, the reason that he didn't write the book is because in 1956 he was in Ecuador uh, trying to go see a, an indigenous tribe there called the Waroni people the Waroni people live in the, 
in the Andes Mountains, and, and they lived back in, in the villages, and, and, and they uh, were hunter-gatherers back in the 50s. They just uh, fished the rivers, and, and they killed the animals that are around them. That's how they survived. And in the 50s, Jim Elliott took a plane with four other men into the Warrani jungle of Ecuador because God had told him to go there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and change their hearts from foolishness to forgiveness. They landed that plane on January the 8th, 1956. And they got out and they began to make their way to the Warrani people. And as they met the Warroni people, the Warroni people were frightened by the white men that they had never seen in a language that they didn't understand. And even as Jim Elliott and the four other men tried to explain to them their reason for being there as best they could through sign language and through writing and drawing symbols on the sand, the Warroni people decided that they were there to overtake their people and to destroy their way of life. And so they killed all five men on January the 8th, 1956. Jim Elliott's wife decided that his life wouldn't be in vain and so she found a way to get back to the Warroni people later on and as she explained to them that it was her husband who had come and who had been killed, they listened. And Jim Elliott's wife, in all practical purposes, won the Waroni people to Jesus Christ and changed their hearts from foolishness to forgiveness. I think Mark has a slide that I, I want to show you something as we close out this morning. This is an actual uh, picture of the journal that's at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, in the Billy Graham Library. This is Jim Elliott's journal. This is what he wrote before he was killed, martyred. You see, it says October the 28th. He died about two months later, in January the 8th, 1956. Pretty famous quote, if you've never heard it before. I want you to hear it this morning. Right there where it's underlined, it says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This morning, my prayer for us at Holly Springs Baptist Church is that we would learn that we are not fools when we give what we can't keep to gain which we can't lose. You see, this morning, there's two conditions going on within the, this church. One is people who are on the side of foolishness and have never experienced forgiveness. And this morning can be the morning of salvation for you. This morning can be the morning that you will give your life to Jesus Christ and your life will be changed forever. But this morning is also the morning that those of us who follow Jesus Christ and who've crossed over into forgiveness, begin to proclaim with our hearts and with our lives that we are not fools to give our lives for the kingdom of Jesus Christ because our lives here on this earth do not matter because what we will gain one day 
is the reward of heaven and everything that's waiting for us. When he opens the doors and says, well, good, well done, thou good and faithful servant, come and enter into your reward. That's the day I live for. That's the reason we celebrate this morning. That's the reason the tomb was rolled away. That's the, that's the reason when they went there and they said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for what it means to be forgiven. God, as we enter into this time of invitation, will you allow us to open our hearts, to open our minds to what you would want us to do this morning? And through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you guide and direct our ways? We pray all these things in the most powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.